Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, you're listening to Late Show Pacho. We're with Stephen Colbert. What's up, Becca? We got a great podcast on the pod today. We've got an exclusive podcast, which is our audience questions podcast, which we put out every once in a while. Always enjoy these. I go out every night before the show and I take answers. I take answers. I provide answers to uh, stupid answers to silly questions um, from the audience. And I can get a really good sense of how good the audience is based upon what the questions are that night. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes no one raises their hand. I'm like, no one. I'm here. Did you not know that it was going to be me tonight? And no one raises their hands. I, I'm sure people are intimidated if they don't know of it. But you've been doing Maybe. this for a long time. You're doing this since the Colbert Report, right? Yeah, right. I've been taking questions since the very first show of the Colbert Report. Yeah. When did it wh – what makes you want to – like, why is this part of your routine? Well, over there I really wanted to do it because I wasn't going to be myself. I was going to be in character. But I want the audience, the live audience, to have some sense of who I was as a person – a, so they could appreciate that I was doing a character, but B, also the things he was saying with a straight face and with my name sometimes were just absolutely awful. Like, you know, Rosa mm -hmm. Parks, frankly, overrated. <laughs> and let's, hey, listen, I'm all for the civil rights, all for, 100%, yeah. you know, fight the power. But she broke the law, <laughs> you know? Yeah. She did break the law. And yeah, are we yeah. going to, you know, are we going to lionize criminals now? Like what? I just saying there has to be a line. So yeah. my character would say stuff like that, and I would want them to know, like, this is not who I am. Yeah. And so it also just <clears throat> just helps have a kind of, any kind of relationship with the audience before you get started. And, I, and then I just got turned to I just I just came to love it. I just yeah. like that moment with the audience. I really like the audience. Like yeah. When I was younger, was when I was a young performer, I think like a lot of young performers who, and it stems from nervousness and fear, is have kind of a hostile relationship to the audience, which mm. is like, eh, I don't care if they don't get my jokes. Like, no, I really I really do. I'm not trying to hide my joke under a pile of cleverness or hostility at the idea of making a connection with another human being because I wouldn't be out here if I did desperately need to make some sort of connection with another human being and realize that I'm not alone all the time. Totally. And so um, I just fell in love with that feeling of like looking at someone, having a moment with them, and then also just being able to get a sense of who the audience is on, the, on a given night. So I'm kind of addicted to it. It's one of my favorite parts of the show, and I'm so glad we do these because otherwise the audience wouldn't see one of the things I love the most. Yeah, it's great. I love compiling these. It's my favorite part about the podcast. So please enjoy. This is Audience Questions on The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Are there any questions I can answer before I get going here? I saw you first, Rainbow Splendor. <laughs> Hi. I know you have a boat. I do have a boat. I actually, I actually, I have two boats. And do you fish? I love to fish. Yes, and I fish as often as I can. The biggest fish I ever caught? I caught a 500-pound marlin. <laughs> Catch and release. Got to let, let him go. It was, it was in Bermuda. 
I was, it was many, many years ago. It was a, it was a summer break, and uh, two of my kids were off at camp, and the third kid was sitting around, and Evie was busy and gone, and he was bored, and it was raining where we, wa- where we are. And I went, wait a second, I've got a TV show. You want to go catch a marlin? Because <laughs> my dad always wanted to catch a marlin. And my father, I learned to fish with my father, and, and he hooked onto a marlin and couldn't land it the year before he died you know, at a young age. And so I went, I've always wanted to catch a marlin for my dad. So I said, literally, I got our passports. We flew to Bermuda. And I knew somebody who knew somebody. And I said, who's got a good boat? So we got onto this boat. The next day, we went out. He landed a marlin, and I landed a marlin. Wow. And then we... <laughs> And the drinking age, he was 16, and the drinking age in Bermuda was 16, so he we went to the pool and drank pina coladas, got up in the morning and came home. Oh. And, show, and, show, and showed mom the photos of the marlin. So that's the biggest fish I've ever caught, but I like to catch, like, trout about that big. That's my favorite thing to catch. Any, anybody else? Any, yes, sir. I've been watching your show since day one. I've been in high school 2015. Yeah? Thank you. I love Lynn's show. I love Johnny Carson. I you have more than one question? <laughs> you realize somebody else doesn't get a question now. But go ahead. Who's your favorite to do the job? Who's my favorite who's ever done one of these jobs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you say? I get to pick anyone? Very generous of you. Um, <laughs> um, I mean... I, God, that's hard. Because I would love Johnny... And I watched Johnny when I was a kid. And, of course, Johnny is kind of the model, even more than Parr or, or Alan, for what these shows are supposed to be. But Letterman was my Johnny. And I started... I started college the first year he started uh, Late Night over at NBC. So I'm, like, first generation. I'm, like, er, you know, uh, Letterman. The thing is that... I, but, the, but then he has... My Johnny is actually John Stewart. You know, the guy from whom I have followed. Um, but I'm also really dear friends with Conan, and I admire him tremendously. I've actually become dear friends with Dick Cavett, who I really model my interview style on, is more like a Dick Cavett interview. That's the, that's the kind of guests I want, that's the kind of, that's the kind of interview I want to do. And, and yet, now I'm also really dear friends with all the other members of the Strike Force Five. I just can't pick, my friend. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. One, uh, my, my appendix? Yeah, so I, did, I did not see the Lord at that time. <laughs> but I did, I, did, I, did, I did have some morphine, and I did have some Dilaudid, and I saw an angel in the form of my wife. Uh. Would you please, would someone take that and make a little clip and send that to Evie, please? <laughs> oh. anybody, anybody else got a question? Yes, sir, in the back. You were a theater major in Northwestern, really? I was. How long ago? Uh, ten, ten years. Ten years ago, okay. Uh, you spoke at my commencement, actually. Oh, okay, so 20, 2011. 2011. Yeah, 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 that's all right, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about something you said uh, that really resonated with me. Um, you said at the beginning, uh, when you started, you wanted to be a serious, dramatic actor. I did, yes. I wanted to be Hamlet. Yes. <laughs> Not just play Hamlet, I wanted to be Hamlet. I wanted to be miserable at people. I wore a lot of black. I had a beard. I was a poet slash jerk. <laughs> yes. And, and later you found comedy. And yeah, I did. Yeah, I found comedy. Big choice. What? Yeah, and so many people, like, you start out wanting to do one thing, and then you 
Like, like why, why did, when was the moment that I chose, like, no, I'm going to do comedy with my life? I can tell you exactly the moment. <laughs> I remember the moment of making the decision. And, and that was... <laughs> the thing about doing drama, and I did drama and experimental theater and things like that, and if you go out on stage and you f*** up in a drama, if you f*** up in some experimental, like, black box kind of theater that I was doing, and you go backstage, everyone would be, you know, everybody would be at their little, you know, their little makeup uh, uh, spots going... What's, uh, what's going on out there? Seems pretty quiet. Whatever, like that. Because people, like, they won't name that you just f***ed up. <clears throat> Comedy is different. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was about to go on stage. I was backstage at Second City in the ETC, and I, was, and I, w- I wasn't sure whether I was going to stick all the way through and try to make it a main stage at Second City, or I was still quitting every so often to go do straight theater in Chicago. And, and I was backstage with a guy named Dave Rosowski. And we were about to walk on stage. We were rehearsing a show. We were in the middle of a, of a process of trying to turn over a new show and improvise new pieces and, and try out new material. And it was a rough, rough part of the show, so rough part of the process. So we, were, we, we had somebody go out there named Jenna Jolovitz, who's a wonderful comedian and, and writer out in L.A. now. And we said, just go out there and do a scene. Um, go do, um, do something short. We need some time. To, we need some, someone to kill time so we can change our costumes. Go do Wales. Now, Wales was a scene that goes like this. It's called a blackout, meaning it's just out there. You're out there for just a, for like 30 seconds to a minute, and it's just a little uh, pacekeeper, usually just one person. And so Wales is this. You walk out, usually you have a beret and wear a poncho or something like that, and you have a guitar, and you go, welcome to, uh, you know, Childress Cafe. Uh, uh, We love folk music here. Um, Thank you for being here for the protest last night. Um, I would like to do a song now for the whales. And then you make a big thing of tuning up your guitar for a while. And then you have your mic like this. Can I have a, a mic? So I'll just, this mic right here. You know, I'd like to do a song now for the whales. And then you, then you tune up your guitar for a while, while and then you go. <laughs> Whatever. You see, it's not a great joke, but it always works. <laughs> so keep in mind, I'm standing backstage with Dave Rosowski about to go on. And the stage is really small. Like, the stage is only about this wide, and there's a little, little wings right here. And the wings just have, like, small wings, and they have just little curtains in front of them that we hide behind till we enter in a blackout. So anyway, we say to Jenna, please go out there and do whales, just something to, to kill time. She's like, oh, I love that. I'll do that. So she goes out. She's got the beret on. She's wearing some folksy flowing outfit like that. She's got the guitar. She's going ding, ding, ding. She's tuning up the guitar. She goes, I'd like to do a song for you now. And then, then she starts doing the whistling and the clicking and the psh and all that, and nothing's happening. And we're looking at each other going, what's wrong with the audience? I mean, it's not a great blackout, but it always works. Yeah. And then we hear Jenna go... Oh, I, I forgot to mention it's a song for whales. Uh, she was just out there whistling and clicking. Um, <laughs> so, so Dave and I looked at each other and we went, oh, and we threw our arms around each other and we started laughing so hard. We were hugging each other for the love of our experiencing how much agony she was going through. <laughs> And, and, and we knew what it felt like, and we'd never seen it so cleanly executed a up that bad before. And we were laughing so hard that our knees got weak, and we started to slide down like a teepee, like collapsing like this. And our legs, 
and we're in the wings. We're in this wing right here. And she made, keep in mind, she's right here in the middle of, at the mic, going like, how do I get out of the scene now? And we're laughing so hard that we're not, we're not, we're going, ha, 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 you can't hide. Like, no one in the audience is laughing. They can only hear our laughter. <laughs> and slowly, slowly, our feet start to slide out onto stage. And we're doing this. We're laughing so hard, we don't know what to do. And I thought in that moment, I want to do nothing but comedy for the rest of my life. Wow. And I'll tell you the real reason why. And the real reason why was not just that we were in so much joy, but Jenna was laughing. Because wow. she heard us laughing, and she understood what was funny about it. And I thought, if this is how much joy all of us can have, regardless of the audience, the joy we could have when, we, when someone up as much as you can possibly up, I went, well, that's a life I want to live. <laughs> so that's, that's why I chose that moment. There you go. Plus, plus, I was doing a fair amount of straight theater in Chicago, and the straight theater I had to do for free and the comedy, I always got paid. <laughs> Any, anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Do you remember me from a couple of years ago? I was the girl you gave the birthday cake to. Yes, I remember you. Thank you very much for that cake. What'd you say? I said, thank you very much for that cake. You're most welcome. It was the end of the show, right? It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I was very moved, and my mother yelled at me and gave me Irish guilt because I didn't send you a thank you card. <laughs> wow, I'm terrible at thank you notes. Yeah, so, so what's your question, love? Uh, I want to know if you remember me, and also, what was it like to interview What? What was it like to interview Eminem? What was it like to interview Eminem? Wow, that is from before this show started. Wow. Quick story, and then I know we got to do the show, but <laughs> between the two shows, between the Colbert Report and this show, you know, I had I'd done, I'd already done 10 years of shows. Like, oh, you got to start all over again. I'm like, okay, I don't know what the f I'm doing. And so I was like, I can't believe I had to do a first show. There's all this pressure on a first show. Mm. And then my head writer, uh, Opus Moreski, said, why don't we just do a first show someplace else? Let's just, just do a yeah. first show someplace. And so, and I said, like, where? And he goes, like, uh, at a, you know, local cable access studio somewhere out in America. So we went to, what was the name of the town? Monroe, Michigan. Went to Monroe, Michigan, and went to, went to, we took over one Sunday night, a show called Only in Monroe. And, and the, the hosts were one woman named Kehlani Rerofko Wilson, and that's only one person's name. And then another woman who I can't remember. Their average rating, honest to God, their average rating, we asked, and they said, it's 12. Wow. And I said, 1,200? They said, no, just 12. Wow. And we, we wanted a famous uh, Michigander to come. And so we called Eminem. We called Marshall. And he said, yeah, I'll come down. He did not know what he was in for. He had no idea what was going to happen. And he rolled with it really well. But we did not explain to him what was happening. So if you watch, if you go Colbert, Eminem, only in Monroe, or Colbert, Eminem interview, that 20-minute interview, it's long, it's long yeah. interview, he is discovering what he's in, <laughs> what he's in for in the interview. It was one of the most fun things because I did the show. I did that still kind of in character. I hadn't quite dropped character yet, and I didn't know who Eminem was. <laughs> and that was tough for him. That was really, really tough for Eminem. For me, have no idea. I'm like, so what if the music doesn't work out? What then? <laughs> and I know it's fun, and you do the hip and then the hopping and the rap and stuff, and but like. You got to think about the future, Marshall. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. So, but then here's one other thing. So we do the show, 
And then we broadcast it that night at 11 o'clock, late night show on, on local uh, access, cable access in Monroe, Michigan. And we're, we're, checking our, we're checking our phones to see, like, Twitter going to blow up because there's Stephen Colbert and Marshall Mathers, and it's on a cable access, and someone's going to stumble across it, and it's going to blow up, and this is going to be huge. And we're purposefully not telling anyone because we wanted to really go viral. We wanted to, like, we want real virality. We wanted to do something kind of special and stupid that would just blow up. And so the whole show's over, and no one tweeted anything about it. <laughs> and then I looked around the control room where we were broadcasting, and I'm like, there are 12 people in here. <laughs> Tonight, we were the 12. Wow. That was it. But did you enjoy it? I did. I did very much so. Give my best to your mother. <laughs> are we ready to do it? You all ready to do the show? Yeah. You all ready to do the show, everybody? Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.